0: Good morning, Uh, it is a beautiful morning, Ah, it's so lovely to wake up and hear the birds and smell the bush and know that we're here for several more days and so I hope you're all feeling ready for another set of Dharma adventures. So just a quick review before we move on to the next set of instructions. So far on the retreat, we've been developing a strong foundation of mindfulness of the body, mostly using the breath as our home base. But as I've been emphasizing, the Satipatthana Sutta provides us with a progressive path of practice, of training, that gradually brings in more and more aspects of our experience until eventually nothing is left out. So this morning I'd like to continue exploring sati and samadhi and just to say a little more about the quality of sati itself. So as I mentioned previously, the English translation as mindfulness doesn't always capture the full range all the nuances that are present in the Pali word sati and actually there are a range of different approaches to the way mindfulness is taught so I'd like to explore some of them now so you may remember the Pali word sati literally means to remember but it's to remember to be aware of what's happening now in the present moment so we're gathering Our attention on the immediacy of our experience. So we can think of it as remembering or recollecting, recollecting, recollecting our awareness back from its perhaps more usual scattered fragmented state to becoming whole, wholly connected to now. And what that experience is that we're collecting our awareness on in some ways is irrelevant. Every experience we have is an equal opportunity to be mindful. Whether that's breathing in and breathing out, whether it's sitting or standing or walking, eating a meal, taking a shower, using the toilet, there's no hierarchy here. We're just fully present with the immediacy of our experience, no matter what that experience is, without assessing it in any way. So one definition of mindfulness that the founding teachers of IMS, Joseph Goldstein and Sean Salzberg, use is mindfulness is being aware of what is going on as it actually arises not being lost in our conclusions or judgments about it, our fantasies of what it means, our hopes, our fears, our aversion. Rather, mindfulness helps us see nakedly and directly this is what is happening right now. So notice in that definition how they refer to seeing, quote, nakedly and directly. So there's a flavor of intimacy there. And I mention this because sometimes people misunderstand mindfulness as being about somehow separating from experience, becoming distant or disconnected from it. And it's true that sometimes the language that mindfulness instructions are given in can inadvertently reinforce that sense of separation. So, for example, we're instructed to focus on the breath or watch sensations or observe emotions or look at our thoughts. And this kind of language can reinforce a sense of someone who is witnessing, someone who is separate from experience and watching it remotely from a distance. And this is unfortunate because one of the key understandings, the insights that all of these trainings are pointing to, is that there is not a separate, permanent self or identity to whom all experience is happening. It's a process. So we want to take care that our mindfulness practice is not subtly creating a sense of the one in here who's being mindful of the world out there, observing experience separately and instead becoming more close, more intimate with the immediacy of experience so that at times that sense of a separate self can dissolve. And again, when we are able to be fully present with our experience, we can start to experience that subtle pleasantness that I mentioned the other day that Bhikkhu Analyo likes to highlight in his very comprehensive teachings on the Satipatthana Sutta. So as mindfulness becomes stronger, we start to notice energetically how mindfulness feels more refreshing, more nourishing than when we're lost in thought, scattered, distracted, agitated, spaced out, disconnected, and so on. And strangely enough, we can even notice how even if what we're experiencing is subtly unpleasant, there can still be that very refined pleasantness, even of being present with the unpleasant. Because the part of the mind that's mindful is not engaged in that experience. It's aware of it. And there's a pleasantness there. And the more we can tune into that subtle pleasantness, the more the mind naturally wants to orient to that instead of distraction. So mindfulness is about remembering to be fully present with our experience in the moment, to know what we're doing, as we're doing it, and to know that we know. There's another nuance to mindfulness that's sometimes overlooked, and that's what is known as clear comprehension. And this is the Pali term, sampajanyo. And in the texts, sati and sampajanyo are usually paired together, translated as mindfulness and clear comprehension. So this means being aware of the context of what we're doing so that our actions are appropriate. So it's this clear comprehension aspect of mindfulness that brings in the wisdom aspect. And I want to again emphasize that because sometimes maybe in more mainstream approaches to mindfulness, this clear comprehension, the wisdom aspect, isn't always present. And mindfulness is sometimes offered as just be present with your experience. Just be with it, just be with it. And I, myself, I had the experience of doing a mindfulness course a few years ago where the instructor kept saying, just be with it, just be with it, just be with it. And eventually one of the people in the course almost exploded and said, I've been depressed for years. I am tired of just being with it. Isn't there anything else? And in this teaching, it's the wisdom that helps us to understand what is useful and to be supported and what is not so useful and to be released. And so remembering mindfulness is supported by the wisdom of discernment. What experiences and states are skillful, leading to freedom, What experiences and states are unskillful leading away from freedom? So because there are all these different nuances to mindfulness, different teachers, different traditions highlight different aspects of sati. So I know some of you here have uh, practiced in different approaches, used different techniques, perhaps at times felt confused by what may seem to be contradictory instructions. But ultimately, all of them have the same purpose, to bring awareness to what we're doing so we can develop insight. Clear seeing into impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self. So no matter what approach to mindfulness we're using, if it's helping us to stay present and to know it more clearly, then we're on the right track. And in fact, we can use all these different approaches to mindfulness to our advantage. We can learn to apply the most appropriate style depending on what's happening in our practice in the moment. So in some ways, what I'm offering here is like a set of tools in a toolbox or maybe a set of paints in an artist's palette. And as you get familiar with these different approaches, you can choose which one feels most appropriate for what's happening in your practice in the moment. So there are different approaches. And for example, some styles of insight meditation, the mindfulness is presented as quite active. And the invitation is to know or note Every aspect of experience, moment to moment. Some of you have um, have practiced like that, where it's almost like a computer game, and you have to shoot down each object that comes into awareness. Got it. Breath. Got it. Knee pain. Got it. Thought. Got it. Quite engaged and intense. So some of you might be familiar with the Burmese Mahasi Sayadaw tradition. mentioned it the other night, how it uses mental noting to stay connected with experience in a very detailed way. And this can bring exquisite refinement to the precision of our mindfulness moment to moment. And at times it can feel like high definition. However, that approach can also be misunderstood as a kind of pinhead focusing even fixation on the minutiae of our experience. And I mention this because that was true for me early on in my practice. I would hear those classical mindfulness instructions and think I was supposed to narrowly fixate on every detail of experience. And on one of those early retreats, I was doing it so intensely that I actually had to stop because it became unsustainable. I passed out, in fact. It was like I blew a head gasket because the effort was just so out of balance. I hadn't learned how to stay in balance and I hadn't learned to pay attention to the attitude in the mind. And this is really crucial. I was completely unaware of the aversion that had been building up as I was so intensely focused on the details of the breath. So I've been inviting us to notice what's happening in the body, what's happening in the heart, what's happening in the mind. And there's a fourth question that can be very useful here. How am I relating to this experience? Or what's the attitude in the mind about it? And this fourth question can reveal if there might be perhaps a building up of tension or aversion or resistance of some kind. So asking what's the attitude in the mind can reveal the presence of the hindrances, those obstacles that get in the way of clear seeing. So if you do notice that the mind is starting to get tired or tight, contracted in some way, that can be assigned to change to a more receptive mode of mindfulness for a while. And with this style of mindfulness, rather than going out after the objects, it's more an energetic settling back, relaxing and receiving the objects, letting them come to you in a more passive way. So their breath is not the only object that we can pay attention to. And it's very common to believe that the breath is where it's at and everything else is secondary. But as our mindfulness gets stronger through that repeated attention to the breath, we can begin to open up that lens of awareness and to notice that relationship to experience and where necessary to change the lens of the mindfulness. So metaphorically, we can think of it as being like the lens of a camera. Sometimes we are zoomed in using the macro mode to see all the tiny details of the experience. Other times we might consciously change to a more panoramic mode. The mindfulness is still there, but it's spread over a wider range of objects. And this can bring a little more ease to the mind if it has got tight. So this morning in the guided meditation, I'd like to move a little out from the hub of the wheel to start including some of the senses. In the Buddha's teachings, he talks about the six sense doors. And they're described as doors because it's where, how we experience the world, how the world feels to come into us. So we have the eye door, of seeing, the ear door of hearing, the body door of touching, the nose door of smelling, the tongue door of tasting. The mind is also a sense in the Buddha's teachings. So today I'd like to start exploring the sense door of hearing, because this is a very powerful way of practicing that more receptive form of mindfulness. So after we've established our awareness on the experience of breathing and steadied the samadhi to some extent, I'll invite you just to begin to notice sound. And using sound as a so-called anchor can help the mind relax because unlike the breath, we don't have any control over sounds. All we can do is settle back and notice when they arise. And so when a sound does arise, you don't have to identify what the sound is. You don't have to work out what type of bird was making that call. But you can simply know or note hearing. Hearing. Hearing for as long as the sound lasts. At times it may seem there's no sound happening, so then you can simply know or note silence. And if at any time you get lost or confused, again, we can simply begin again by coming back to the breath. Using the breathing to reestablish the samadhi, the steadiness. And when it's strong again, you can open up to the experience of hearing. So let's give that a try now.